ever wonder what your therapist is really thinking? Well, that's confidential. But in this podcast, a few of my therapist friends and me show you what it's really like inside of a mental health professional's brain. Hi, welcome to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. I'm Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, board certified counselor. We discuss books, movies, TV shows, motherhood, current events, clinical issues, mental illness, trauma, and our own personal lives. So if you want to know what we're thinking, come on in, take a listen. Come see what the world is like through the eyes of a therapist, the podcast that destigmatizes mental illness, humanizes therapists, and demystifies therapy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor. Today, we're going to be talking about why therapists go to therapy. If you can remember in the last episode, I talked to you a little bit about what it's like to listen to people's problems all day and how complicated that answer was, right? So it's not just sitting here listening to people all day If that were the case, I think my job would be a lot easier said than done, right? But there are a lot of things that go into listening to people. There's the fact that I'm conceptualizing the client and their problem through a theoretical orientation and a lens, and I'm filtering all of that information through that theoretical orientation, and I'm also regulating myself, what we call affect management, meaning, you know, making sure my face is not all screwed up (laughs) while the client is talking to me. And I want to make sure that my body language conveys that I'm a safe person, that I am also emotionally regulated and calm. And I want to make sure that there's all these interpersonal processes that I have been expertly trained in and that I've practiced with my supervisors in either graduate school or postgraduate internships that I'm applying and practicing at the same time. So it's this multi-level, multifaceted process that I'm engaging in. And so it's quite a process and it's quite exhausting sometimes, especially if we're doing this hour after hour, day after day, And not to mention the fact that we have to document everything, right? So imagine that a therapist is doing an intake session that's about a full hour of, you know, conceptualizing the problem, thinking about the problem that the client is coming in with. And then we also have to kind of write the whole evaluation. We're thinking about the diagnosis. We're thinking about how we're going to document that, if there are any special cases either legal or ethical considerations that we have to take into account, how we're going to write that down in our records, um, if we have to make any, you know, child protective services reports or adult protective services reports and how much extra time that takes. Um, Yes, and we are also probably sitting all day or working at a standing desk, looking at a computer I know that some agencies have not caught up with the 21st century and we are uh, documenting by hand. And so that can also take a toll. And I've heard a saying once that the more professional you become, the more paperwork that you have to do. So I think that's also true as well. If you know any, you know, doctors and nurses 
especially in hospital settings, thinking about all the paperwork that has to be done for each client and all the charting that has to be done. So it's the same for therapists as well. So yes, it is quite a lot of work. It can be a little bit um, emotionally draining, mentally draining. It's a lot of thinking, a lot of brain work. And so um, you'd imagine that just that aspect of the job might require us to go to therapy, right? Thinking about the things that we hear about as well can also make us feel a little bit uneasy at times. I know that personally, as a trauma therapist, I'm a lot more susceptible to something that we call vicarious traumatization or VT. It's generally defined as the negative effects of empathy. So having a lot of empathy and um, really putting myself in the person's shoes, including, you know, visualizing whatever it is that the person has gone through when they're describing it to me in such drastic detail. Um, I know that that's happened to me a couple of times in my career when I hear about really horrific things that people have gone through. And so, you know, me having to go through my own trauma therapy for vicarious traumatization and secondary trauma. So you can see why a therapist might have to go through their own therapy, even just because of the hazards of the job. So not only are there hazards to the job, but thinking about, you know, we're human too, right? So outside of the office, you know, we might have our own mental health histories. I know that I've talked about my mental health history with you all in my blog through the eyes of a therapist.org on WordPress. Um, if you're interested in reading a little bit more about it, long story short, when I was a lot younger, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression, and I had a really hard time finding quality providers with my family. And so part of my inspiration for becoming a therapist was the fact that I had such terrible therapists when I was younger. I laugh about it now, even though it wasn't funny. It's not funny, but I'm really thankful for how far our community in El Paso has come insofar as the amount of providers we now have in El Paso, the quality of providers we now have in El Paso, the fact that the University of Texas at El Paso here, the master's program is now KCREP accredited. So it's pumping out some pretty good high quality LPCs and counselors, which is great. So our community really has come a long way and I'm so proud to be part of this mental health community here in El Paso. And so the counselors here are far from what we used to have, you know, and I think that despite the damage that was caused to me and my family back then in like the early 90s, 1990s, right? Like in the night, you know, if I was born in the 1900s, I mean, that was so long ago, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think that because we have come so far, you know, I'm so proud of my community. But anyway, I digress. So yeah, I think that based on my own mental health history, I personally go to therapy just to kind of keep that in check. It's my ethical obligation to do so. So in the ACA, American Counseling Association Code of Ethics, there is a clause in there or a, I guess a quote or a section in there that talks about impairment. And so whenever a counselor is impaired or cannot function 
in their job or incapacitated, meaning they are depressed or anxious or to the point of unable to make sound clinical judgment, then they are not to be practicing because they're then, I mean, they could be a danger to the public, but I think that they start to make mistakes. They start to, you know, not do right by their clients. And part of doing ethical practice is beneficence, non-maleficence, and doing no harm. And that's also part of the code of ethics. So it's really important for counselors and therapists, at least counselors who follow the ACA code of ethics, to go to counseling themselves if they feel the need to be in treatment. Um, Of course, counseling is not the only modality to engage in a healing practice, but I truly do believe in therapy as a therapist. I think that talking and talking it out, talking things out with people and having that sounding board really does work because when the counselor or therapist says things back to you in a different way or they reframe something for you and you kind of hear yourself talking through another person, it's an interesting process because it's kind of like, oh, I'm saying that? (laughs) That sounds a little silly or that sounds a little ridiculous or wow, I really feel validated in that point or in that emotion. And so I think it's just, a really nice way to feel heard, to feel validated, but to also be challenged in your thinking. And that's just for the general population. You don't have to be a therapist to gain the benefits of therapy. But, you know, therapists are human too, right? So the other things about therapists that we have are life happens, right? So we go through grief. People in our lives pass away. People in our lives leave us. We go through breakups. We go through heartache. We get distracted. Sometimes we might need medication for anxiety or depression. You know, we go through divorces. We go through family conflicts. Um, There are just different emotions and roller coasters of emotions that therapists go through that we need guidance navigating through as well. Um, Just because we've been trained in expert ways to handle these situations doesn't mean that we always apply them. And I think that sometimes there's a stigma in our own therapist community that, you know, we feel like we need to have it together, right? Like just because we're a therapist, we should be mentally healthier. We need to portray that we are perfect or we are you know, a perfect happy family and whatever happens behind closed doors is to be shut out and not shown at all because any imperfection is negative or bad. But that's not necessarily true. I think that the more that we show our imperfections, as you can see on my Instagram page, a lot of times I don't wear makeup and I do show reels where I am not wearing makeup or I show silly things about myself and my life. And some of that disclosure, I feel, helps me connect to the general population because, yes, I can be an expert in a field, but I'm also a multifaceted person. I don't want to be seen as better than anybody, and I don't want to be seen as somebody who has the white coat effect. The white coat effect is where you see like a doctor or a professional, and it's like, oh my gosh, they have this power over me because they're so professional, they have this degree or this power. And so they're so unrelatable. And you know, everything that they say, I must do. 
And that's not true. We shouldn't have that power over our clients. We should have power with our clients. We should empower our clients and help our clients realize that they have power in the relationship in therapy. The other reason, I mean, obviously, there are numerous hazards of the profession, including isolation and having that one-sided sort of relationship with our clients, right? Like, our clients don't check on us. That's not their job. (laughs) And if you are in therapy and your therapist starts to talk about themselves a little too much, you know, some self-disclosure from therapists can be healthy, right? Like, oh yeah, I can relate to my client because of this or that. It should be a very short and kind of a very short and healthy strategy to connect to a client, but it should never go to the point of taking over the session. So if your therapist is taking over the session with their shit, like run (laughs) Um, and tell your therapist to go to therapy. I joke with my clients that they have a grand therapist and so my stuff will never get into their stuff. And yes, I might be able to relate to them on certain points, but it's never going to take over the relationship and I will probably never really bring it up unless it's super relevant and it's super short. So I do talk about burnout in several episodes before this. There is a specific episode, I think in season one, that talks about the difference between vicarious trauma, secondary trauma, burnout, things like that. But burnout is specifically job related. And so I know that I've burned out a couple of times in my career. And I talked about it in the last episode as well. And so therapy for burnout is really, really helpful. But I think what's even more helpful for burnout is just getting away from that job, right? Going on vacation, doing a lot of self-care. And self-care sometimes I think is a misnomer. I feel like self-care is BS sometimes because how can we tell somebody to take care of themselves if they don't have the means to take care of themselves, aka if they don't have a roof over their head, if their rent is too high, if there's inflation, if there is not enough pay, if there is not a quiet home or a safe space to go home to, or if there's racism in the system or whatever else other things in the environment that are preventing them from taking care of themselves. So I think we have to look at it at a systems level. So anyway, that's a whole other tangent that I don't want to get into, but just worth mentioning, self-care can be BS sometimes. So yeah, I think therapy for burnout can be really helpful. But if you're a therapist listening to this podcast episode, I encourage you to please go to therapy. If you are a therapist in training who's listening to this podcast episode, whether you're in grad school or you've already graduated from grad school, you're in supervision or under supervision, and your uh, supervisor has recommended it, you know, we're taught in grad school that you don't have to meet, quote unquote, medical necessity to go to therapy. You can go to therapy for self-discovery reasons and personal growth, and even just for the experience on being on the other side of the couch, right? To be on the other side of things, to get that insight for what it's like for clients to be sitting on the other end of the couch, right? To see what it's like to be a client. I think that experience is valuable in and of itself. And so going to therapy, I think, is a really important aspect of becoming a therapist and it's part of therapist development. As a supervisor, I think that's important as well. But Anyway, if you're a therapist listening to this podcast, 
consider this as your sign. <laughs> uh, if you've been considering it, I know that in El Paso, it's a little big town here. So it's kind of hard to find a therapist that's not going to know you or not going to know your tia or your bisabuela or whatever, right? But what I did was I went to like sondermind.com, S-O-N-D-E-R-M-I-N-D.com. And they take my insurance. And so what I did was I found somebody in East Texas who is not connected to any of my communities, any of my consultation communities, anybody in El Paso, and they don't know me, right? So that was really helpful. When I did seek therapy here in my own town, I did have a frank discussion with that particular therapist about, you know, um, keeping our relationship separate. If I did run into her at conferences or CEU credit hour gathering situations, that we would just pretend not to know each other. And of course, just like with any other client, right? Like she wouldn't come up to me. She would protect my confidentiality at all costs and et cetera, et cetera. So just really having that frank discussion with the provider about protecting your privacy. But, you know, I think having a therapist, especially during this time of the pandemic, has been so valuable to me because the isolation and being kind of like a silent first responder, quote unquote, or an invisible first responder, quote unquote, has been so rough. And having the therapist has been so valuable because, um, man, it's rough times out here, right? I think it's we're carrying everybody else's kind of stuff, right? It's so isolating sometimes being a therapist because nobody understands what it's like to kind of quote-unquote listen to people's problems all day right because it's so simple to like put it that way <laughs> but we're listening to that we're carrying that we also have our own lives to handle the pandemic is a global trauma it's not like it's just happening to people outside of our circle it's happening to us as well um, we have our own worries our own bills our own families our own relationship issues, our own whatever else is happening to us. And I think because of the way we think critically and the way we conceptualize things, we just kind of have this deeper understanding of the world. And so I think it can take a heavier toll on therapists. And so it's really healthy to create that kind of like emotional distance through therapy. And so I'm hoping that my therapist has her therapist and every grand therapist has a grand therapist has a grand therapist. And I wonder who the ultimate therapist to the ultimate therapist is. Um, <laughs> I'd like to meet that person. And so, yeah, I think it's it's super valuable to have that resource. You get to talk about, you know, cases because, you know, that anonymity is there. They can't divulge that information because they're held to confidentiality as well. You get to talk about what's bothering you at work. You get to talk about whatever it is that's bothering you, such as like coworker situations or supervisor situations or, you know, whatever's happening with your family or what's happening in your private practice or what's happening financially, what's happening with the coronavirus or the pandemic or what's happening with your kids. And it's just like being a client, right? And you get to take off that therapist hat for just an hour. And you get to put yourself first. And so it's really godsend. It's a great thing to do. I think that if you have been considering it and putting it off, especially if you have insurance, bro, if you 
have insurance, what is the excuse? <laughs> right? Like if you're fully covered and your copay is low and there's a provider out there that takes your insurance, go do it. You know, like you just pay the copayment or sometimes your insurance is really good and you don't have to pay a copayment, you know. And of course, if you need like to pay out of pocket, then it's worth it as well. I mean, I was I was looking at some Instagram pages and some other fellow therapists were talking about how we pay for other stupid shit like I don't know a stupid purse that costs like $500 and it's like okay if you can afford a massage your pedicure and a stupid $500 purse it's like okay you can also probably not buy those things for a few months and go to therapy right and pay the full fee for the therapist so it's like priorities I don't know, you know, just kind of consider it, think about it, whatever's in your budget. But anyways, I know that this <laughs> podcast was a little bit ranty and soapboxy with some information. But, you know, again, the website that I went to for my therapist was Sondermind. Again, like I mentioned in the previous episode, you can go to Latinx Therapists or Latinx Therapy. They have a directory for therapists that are Latinos, clinicians of color. Uh, I know just released a catalog of therapists as well. There's Therapy in Color. There's Psychology Today. Um, you could do a Google search. Honestly, you can probably find anybody on Instagram as well. Facebook, you know, you can get a referral from your doctor. People are everywhere now. So telehealth is amazing too because you can just show up in session with your pajamas and ain't nobody gonna judge you. I mean, be appropriate, but... <laughs> Anyway, so I wish you mental health. I wish you well-being. I hope you have a great beginning to your February. We're going to get snow, I think, in the desert here, which is interesting. I'll let you know how that goes. And I hope you have a good rest of your week. Have a nice day. And thanks for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Through the Eyes of a Therapist podcast. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And please connect with me, Crystal Martinez Acosta, licensed professional counselor, on Instagram at Through the Eyes of a Therapist Pod. More information about booking me for therapy or training can be found there. Until next time, keep on fighting the stigma and go to therapy. I'll see you next time. <laughs>